0: Your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone and welcome to today's show. I'm going to apologize in advance for some audio issues in this introduction, having some technological problems, so please bear with me and thank you for your patience. My guest today is Rachel Duval. Rachel uses she, her pronouns. She is an actor and dancer-turned therapist who specializes in helping individuals heal from anxiety, trauma, and burnout. She's inspired to help others find true, effective self-care after many years of burnout and secondary trauma in the world of nonprofits. She integrates somatic and trauma therapies like sensory motor psychotherapy and EMDR with expressive arts therapy approaches. She lives with her family in Western Massachusetts. And now on to the conversation. All right. Well, thank you for being here, Rachel. I'm really glad to have you on the
1: podcast. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so I, I know Rachel and I know each other outside of this context, so I'm really excited to let other people peek into these conversations that we have in our peer consultation group and in other settings. Um, but the first conversation the first question that I start with for everyone is what does wellness mean to you and how do you stay well?
1: So I thought about this question a lot because it felt like really big to me <laughs> and yes. my mind went a lot of different directions. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest thing is I feel like my definition of wellness has changed a lot uh, over the mm-hmm. years and over my career and over my um, just growth as a person. Um, mm-hmm. I used to be involved in like the, I say in quotes, wellness community <laughs> mm-hmm. back when I lived in New York. Um And I think when the pandemic happened, and I now live in Western Massachusetts, um, I just noticed, um, you know, the things that I used to associate with wellness, um, the people were going a very different direction. Um, It seemed like very kind Mm -hmm. of individualistic, um, very focused on the self and, you know, and, and At one point in my life, I was very focused on that personal growth and like Mm -hmm. uh, self-healing and and that kind of thing. And um, I felt like through the pandemic, I really saw um, more so the power of wellness through collective care, um, or when it wasn't present, like when we were very focused on the individual versus the collective Mm -hmm. and how that affected our individual and collective wellness. And, um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was through volunteering and working with um, organizations here in my in my county doing mutual aid one called bridge it's multicultural bridge it's a mm-hmm. black women-led organization that really has been caring for our community since the beginning of the pandemic through mutual aid mm-hmm. and um, other ways and so yeah so I guess I'm realizing that my sense of wellness has shifted and also just my awareness of like who has access to wellness who who has the privilege to seek wellness. Um, But I think ultimately it's like also very simplified and going back to, um, you know, it's not something that you purchase. It's not something that you take a course on how to be well. Um, It comes from within you. It comes from your connections to the people in your life, um, the connections to the world, the earth. Um, So I guess that answers questions of how I seek it is really looking at, um, how I'm showing up in the relationships in my life. And, mm. and if that feels, if I'm feeling connected to that, to those relationships, I'm much more feeling a sense of wellness. Um, mm. and then, yeah, in a practical sense, like how am I listening to myself? Um, how am I, uh, you know, what areas do I have unmet needs? And, and sometimes that is really simple stuff like, Oh, I'm not moving a lot or, Oh, I'm really isolating myself or, Oh, I'm really, um, getting in my head and not really paying attention to what's happening in my body. So,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm really curious when you were in New York and you said that you were really involved in like the quote wellness community. Yeah. What did that, what did that look like?
1: Um, well, I think like, uh, like I said, I was, I was in my twenties and I was an actor at the time or, you know, trying mm. to be an actor Um, But I got interested in um, like dance movement wellness um, with a particular group that I'm not, I don't affiliate with anymore. Um, And at the time it was like very eye opening because I, having grown up the way I grew up, um, this idea of like listening to your body and, and, and dancing Mm -hmm. with, you know, a sense of freedom uh, Mm -hmm. was uh, totally new to me. Um, So I really connected with that. But I think also being in New York City and being like starting out as a young adult, there was also much a very much a focus on like, yeah, like I said, like the individual, like making it, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, yes. And so like it was very a lot of that wellness world was very commercialized, very like right. um, very focused, obviously. on I mean, I think the the dance community I was part of was not very focused on necessarily external but they weren't very inclusive either you know Mm. there weren't like uh, you know wide varieties of body sizes and types of people in that world Uh, and it's still like I said very much focused on kind of like if something's not working it's something with you like there's an ego problem or Mm. there's something that you need to work through you know rather than looking at how are the how is this are the environments around me affecting me like how are my relationships affecting me yeah yeah so and that's when Uh, I then transitioned out of being an actor and went back to school to be a social worker
0: so I was gonna ask where because it the what you just talked about the systems and the environment impacting you is very much like a yeah a social work framework not that everyone who thinks that way is a social worker but I know that you are (laughs) yeah yeah Um, yeah when did the pandemic fall in this timeline, like, was that a big factor in you sort of like shifting your wellness
1: perspective? Um, Yeah, I think so. Well, actually, I moved to the Berkshires in our, or we moved to the Berkshires in 2017. um, And my husband was a teacher at a private school in New York City. And I was working for a nonprofit um, in New York City. And our daughter was nine months old. And uh, we lived in a teeny tiny apartment. <laughs> um, and one thing about our teeny tiny apartment is that we could see a backyard, but we didn't have access to it. <laughs> yeah. So we really got to this point where, um, you know, and we didn't have the ability to, you know, get a bigger place with outdoor space or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So we said so we really wanted to, um, we wanted to live a life where our daughter could walk outside and touch trees, touch grass, mm-hmm. and, you know, and really have that experience, um, and we spent a lot of time traveling um, to the Berkshires to stay with friends who lived here, um, and we just kept talking about how wonderful we felt when we were here, and eventually mm-hmm. we're like, well, why don't we just live here? <laughs> why does it have to be a vacation? Like, why can't we just make this our home? Um, wow. So, yeah, that was 2017, we moved here um, and found our way to like build a home here. Um, and then the pandemic hit and we were, were, I mean, I, I feel incredibly privileged and grateful that I, this is where we ended up the pandemic because we had friends in the city who, you know, that experience was really, really
0: difficult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how you have, um, sort of found community, in this new location, a much more like rural comparatively yeah. to New York city and community care, collective care, you said is a really big part of wellness for you. So how yeah. does the community in the, the Berkshires and Western Mass compare to New York city for you and your family?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's something we're still figuring out. You know,
0: it's kind of like we were here
1: for a couple of years, but with a young Kid, it was very hard to like get out and do things and then the pandemic hit and everything shut down and mm. um but I guess like the main way is well definitely through our um our daughter's school community like really involved in that and that's really important to us um and then also through bridge the, the organization I mentioned that I volunteer with um really I mean they they have this amazing ability they have they hosted um so many meetings and, and an entire conference one time where hundreds of people gathered via zoom mm. and they had this amazing ability to make you feel like you were so connected even through the screen um, so i really credit a lot of those experiences connecting with bridge and engaging in the mutual aid community um that's really helped me feel more connected but i think it's also something i'm continuing to work on i think it's something I hear a lot of my clients say, and especially people who are parents, but everybody, it's that um, we're still kind of finding our way of how to reconnect with each other. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't, I don't know, for me, it does not feel normal at all, yeah. still. Um, and uh, I think we've all kind of like lost some of those like skills of how do we do this? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know like yes. I re entered a dance class just this summer. I hadn't been in a dance class Mm years um and it was a little funky at first it felt a little weird (laughs) um but then you know I've come to that's like I'm feeling like that's where I want to get back to like I would like to be in those spaces more um but you know I'm taking Mm -hmm. it little by little so
0: yes yeah yeah I I think I don't even know what normal is anymore (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know like I'm trying to figure out what normal even is right um, if it even exists at all (laughs) Um, but yeah, I know that, um, movement is really important for you personally Mm -hmm. and your professional work. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the ways that you support people, um, you know, specifically the sensory motor psychotherapy, EMDR, expressive Mm -hmm. arts. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about how your work with clients looks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I was thinking about it, I feel like the thread that kind of connects them all and what really um, inspires me about all these different approaches is that um, they really come from, in sensory motor psychotherapy, there's they have their pr- core principles and one of them is organicity. That's basically that mm. everything that, basically everything that you need to heal can come from within you. Now, of course, mm. like it can be brought up through relationship because they also talk about um, universality and our and our connection to to those around us, but um, but I, I love this idea that like with the right conditions and the right support, like our bodies and minds and spirits n- know what to do. You know, they know how mm. to heal. Um, so I think that's that's really what's at the core of it is like helping clients to, you know, know how to do that because that's the other thing I said. You know, my my experience growing up, um, you know not an extremely religious community, but I did grow up in the religious community and there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of talk about connecting with your bodies. Um, or if it was, it wasn't in a positive way. <laughs> you know, like right. that's not something you do. Um, yes. So, so I think a lot of the work is like uh, helping people kind of learn that language of their bodies, you know, or mm-hmm. learn that language of their emotions. Um, mm-hmm. it, it feels, it's not something we innately, it is something we innately know how to do. But there's a lot of things that come in there that kind of block us from connecting yeah. to that.
0: Yeah. How did you learn the language of your body and emotions?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. So part of what I went through when I was um, in graduate school for acting, so I went to graduate school for acting in Denver, Colorado, um, I went through a really uh, difficult time um, with, chronic pain, I I had severe kind of TMJ disorder. um, And it was really impacting my life. Like I, I I almost had to drop out of school at the time because it was so Mm. intense. And it was around that time that I discovered uh, this type of dance movement um, practice. And that was kind of the beginning because I think it was uh, the first time that I've even been told like, you know, move the way your body wants to move I'm like what is that Mm -hmm. what do you mean you know um but it was like once I discovered that I was like oh actually like I can feel this out and I can feel I can tune into what my body needs and I can feel better by listening to myself so it was really uh you know it was a physical journey but it was also emotional because I went through some really Mm -hmm. dark dark times in my 20s to just sort of like who am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? You know, mm-hmm. um, feeling a lack of purpose, that kind of thing. And so it was really through that journey of like discovering dance and movement and discovering mm. um, that as kind of a pathway to understand
0: myself. And- yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm learning so much about you today <laughs> that I didn't know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is, which is really exciting. And I would yeah. love to like, you know we've got much more conversation um right. but I just wanted to name that like there's so yeah. many things I didn't know about you already right. to, like, yeah. today. um I'm wondering if the the like introduction into dance which I know you're not involved in that specific community and yeah. yeah. but at the time was that helpful with the chronic pain like did you notice any relationship yeah. there
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, cause I had tried other things, um, you know, and I think, um, yeah, definitely. I discovered like I could really find a lot of healing through, um, really listening to what my body needs, you know, how, what is, you know, there's some sense of pain, there's some sense of tension, like what, what, what kind of experimenting. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what I do in my work with people too. It might not be full on dance, but like, experimenting well what does this feel like you know this part of me feels some tenseness what does it feel like if I put a hand here you know and and sense into that um so yeah that really it definitely helped with the uh, pain and and I continued I have flare-ups here and there but like that is the signal to me like if I am developing some more pain um it's probably because I'm not moving enough you know Uh, movement was really my my medicine I have to be integrating that into my life
0: yeah um so those of us in the like somatically oriented therapy community which you and I both are and somatics being like body centered like there's lots of options for different modalities I'm curious what um brought you to sensory motor psychotherapy and EMDR as like the things that you were interested in using with clients yeah
1: um I think, um, I saw Pat Ogden who created sensory motor psychotherapy back in, I think it was in 2016 because my daughter was six months old. I remember Mm. I went to this conference and I was only able to stay to hear her speak because I had to leave because my daughter was sick. I had to run back. But I just remember being completely blown away by her presentation. Mm. Um, And I think what really drew me to it was, um, another one of the principles of sensory motor psychotherapy is nonviolence. And it was really much the, the gentleness of mm-hmm. it. Um, it, it felt, um, yeah, just really the sense of, and the relational aspect of it, you know, it's very much built upon, uh, the foundation of the relationship between mm-hmm. um, the client and the therapist, but not the therapist as an expert, yeah. um, really the client as uh, the expert and helping the client connect to those parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really drew me in. And then, you know, EMDR was really, I wasn't sure. You know, there was a part of me, there's a thing about sensory motor, and I and I wanna say also I'm still a student of sensory motor. I've done level one and I hope, you know, when time and money allow, I will continue yeah. with level two. Um, but also the thing that I liked about it, it was very kind of, it's very kind of moment to moment, mm. kind of noticing and tracking the client, making contact, kind of deciding where to go. Um and so at first I thought EMDR would be like too, um, I guess, too rigid, too manualized. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't quite sure that I would, I would like it because I think there's a part of me that like <laughs> um, buffs against that. Like I don't like, the, I, I think I see that as negative, you know, mm. um, but then I came across the Institute for Creative Mindfulness, Dr. Jamie Archer's, um Institute, and um, they were having this training that integrated expressive arts. Uh, expressive Ah. arts therapy with EMDR and I was like oh interesting (laughs) so I I hadn't kind of seen EMDR that way that it could be the kind of um, approach that could integrate creativity in that way so I was really Mm. kind of intrigued Um, so I ended up you know I was like why not I'll give it a shot and see how it feels and Irene Rodriguez was my trainer um, and I just loved it I Mm. loved it so much and um, the, the integration of express words therapy was so lovely um, and really connected with. I, I did years of work in New York City for a nonprofit, working with high schoolers. And, um, and I, my, my supervisor at the time was an express words therapist. So I, I got a lot of experience with that. Um, but then I also found when I got into it, I was like, oh, I actually like this structure and holding. You know, mm. there was something about it that felt very containing and, mm. and really giving. Gave- lot of um, a lot of like confidence and and sort of uh, feeling settledness as a therapist like knowing it's like okay here's the map we're gonna follow and, it, and it's not rigid you know it's yeah. not actually as rigid as I thought there is there is flexibility and there is moment to moment-to-moment um, kind of following where we're going um, but there's yeah but there's a bit of a map there's a bit of a, a, a structure and a holding that actually feels really wonderful to my nervous system mm. and I know this Clients too um, I've, I've seen such um, positive response as well
0: yeah what does it look like to integrate expressive arts or creativity into EMDR because I think of EMDR as like a client is sitting I'm not an EMDR therapist but I, yeah, yeah. I think of it as a client sitting and like either tapping or having the lights with their eyes as they're sort of like replaying their own narrative and maybe that's not an accurate or yeah, well, that's part of it. Yeah, so EMDR is actually
1: eight phases, and so mm. in, in in phase two, you're doing resource building, and so that's really where um, the expressive arts can come into play, or how it was used in the training I did. Um, so you know, just as an example, you know, we might be doing a guided meditation where um, a person. Uh, you know goes into connecting with a protective figure like a mm. an attachment figure or something you know that as a resource for them you know imagining that really kind of creating that in their awareness and sensing that in their bodies and then you could go on to create art that reflects that you mm. know um, and the way expressive arts and again I'm not expressive arts therapist but I have training in mm-hmm. it <laughs> um, thing that I love about expressive arts therapy is that um, it's it's using multiple modalities so um, you know it could be that you go into um, imagining this attachment figure this uh, protective figure and then you spend some time creating art that kind of represents that Um, and then maybe to go deeper you might look at the art and see like kind of what words or phrases or or poetry comes Mm. from looking at the image that you created. Um, so it's about layering different modalities um, to kind of go deeper into
0: mm. um, experience. Yeah, no, that's yeah. very interesting. It's really amazing, all the different modalities that exist now that are incorporating the different layers of who we are as people, that it's not just cognitive approaches. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. I know that I want to shift a little bit to talking about compassion fatigue, because I know yeah. from following your social media that you've been in your own sort of like process of recovering yeah. from burnout and compassion yeah. fatigue and support other folks in doing so. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like, what does that mean? Compassion fatigue and burnout. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I mean, I think it's, you know, compassion fatigue and burnout is like exhaustion on every level, you know, emotionally, mm. spiritually, physically. Um, and um, yeah, for me, compassion fatigue as a as a therapist and as a social worker, um, I feel like I want to like, <laughs> like back up and give like the backstory. But basically, you know, I went into this profession, very idealistic, very mm. passionate. I love social work school mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and I went into the field very excited about, you know, being a social worker and like mm-hmm. true social work, social justice, you know, it was very much, that was my mindset. Um, and then you come into the reality <laughs> of what, <laughs> what you're up against. Um, and I think what really led to, you know, where I am now is just like repeatedly being faced with, you know, seeing, you know, what needs to change, seeing the harm that's being done to the people that you are working with. Um, and then again, and again, coming up against barriers yeah. to making any change or shift in that. Mm. Um, that. I mean, it's more so like moral injury, like it is just like completely demoralizing. Um, and it, it really wears you down. Um, and so I think what I found is just like, I found like, uh, came to a crossroads of like I I can't because it was affecting me so much um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You know, leading to me feeling kind of um, hopeless, feeling sort of like bitter, and mm-hmm. you know, feeling myself that I did not like um, yeah. regular. Um, and, and I see that as a warning sign of like I'm not doing good work here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not, this is not going to be helpful and could be harmful you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really had to make a shift and and I think part of that shift for me too, in healing the burnout and, and compassion fatigue is, um, is seeing that like there, there are more than one, there's more than one way for me to affect change in the world yes. around me. You know? yeah. Like, yes, therapy is one way, but I think really for me, it's been expanding my idea of, mm-hmm. um, how I can, guess live in alignment with my values and and I can live in alignment with my values and not burn myself out Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah but I I like I'm glad that you said recognize that I'm still in the process because you know I only left full-time social work six months ago or seven yeah six months ago so yeah it's very fresh I'm still in that process you know, still, still figuring it out.
0: Yes. And by full-time social work, you mean sort of like community mental health rather than private practice.
1: Yeah. 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 And i worked in a lot of different um, settings, but you know, community mental health, um, higher ed uh, school based work, nonprofit work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I totally resonate with that. Like Mm -hmm. going into or coming out of grad school with a degree in social work and feeling like okay, I'm ready to change yeah. the world and realizing that like you're bumping up against a lot of systems that yeah. one person can't change and a lot yeah. of broken systems. And yeah. I it through actually a lot of your posts on social media, I've realized like, oh wow, I'm just starting to come out of my own experience of burnout. like yeah. it takes your nervous yeah. system a long time to recover um, and i'm wondering since this is sort of like an area that you have been focusing on in yourself and with clients like how do you support people in managing or recovering from compassion fatigue and burnout in their own lives
1: yeah. um i think for me both personally and professionally it's kind of <clears throat> understanding um where those patterns come from, where this feeling of like this connecting, um, our value to what we do for others. Like, um, I know for me, that's something I've been unpacking my whole life, mm-hmm. <laughs> but really understanding how, um, really connecting to my value, regardless of what I give and regardless of what I do, yeah. um, I think is, is at the heart of it. So yeah, I work with a lot of people that, really struggle with people pleasing really struggle with setting boundaries with people and they they intellectually cognitively understand like i need to stop doing this i need mm-hmm. to take a break i need to take care of myself but i don't understand i can't i can't stop i can't stop doing this like the idea of actually stopping and taking care of myself feels terrifying or mm. feels uh, shameful you know so it's kind of unpacking like where are these beliefs um did they come from you know this idea that you are not worthy of care unless you are helping others or doing things for others yes
0: yeah Mm -hmm. are there ways that you use somatic approaches through sensory motor or EMDR or others to help people address those underlying beliefs
1: yeah I mean I think definitely through EMDR it's like looking at you know would be maybe like looking at a situation like I know that I need to say no to this person or I know I need to take a break um but when I do that this is what comes up and so we get into like what is the what is the belief about yourself that comes up when you think of this idea of like taking a break well I'm selfish I don't deserve that you know Mm -hmm. and then going deeper okay when you think of this this belief about yourself I'm selfish I don't deserve that what are the emotions that and going deeper what are the what are the sensations that you feel in your body right now mm-hmm. as you, this negative belief um, and then what we do in EMDR is we, we float back and we connect and we' like when when is the time in my past when I felt these emotions, sensations and this belief about myself mm. yeah. yeah and then how do I want to feel you know right and I think a lot of people when we start they're like uh, well I want to feel that but this feels that feels important yes but it's only with working through and processing kind of these past experiences that are keeping us stuck that we can really connect with um you know change in the present that we really want to see yeah
0: yeah and i think that as i understand it the kind of beauty of emdr and other somatic approaches is that you're reprocessing those beliefs at a Mm -hmm. level that's like below your conscious or cognitive awareness right yeah
1: you're
0: not
1: it's not about what i really love about it is it's really kind of sitting back (laughs) and allowing your brain and your system to kind of go where it Mm. needs to go you're not you're not manipulating manipulating it or intellectualizing it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, our bodies are so wise. I keep coming back to that when I learn more and more about this type of work. So that is all for my conversation with Rachel Duvall. Unfortunately, we had a lot of technological issues in recording this episode, and I lost some of the audio at the very end here. But you did get the bulk of our conversation. And I would love if you went and followed Rachel and see what she's doing outside of this conversation. You can learn more about her practice on Instagram at Rachel Duval Therapy and at her website, Psychotherapy.com. All right, stay well, friends, and take care. <music> This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist to follow the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion psychotherapy on my website, Carrie Take care and stay well.